All right, welcome in episode 137 of the Hot Grits Podcast. I'm Travis Shadon. First, I'm going to tell you about Coach's Corner, our title sponsor here on the Hot Grits Podcast and Savannah's number one sports bar. Coach's Corner at 3016 East Victory Drive, www.coaches.net, and all across social media, including right there on the Coach's Corner Facebook page. Uh, find the other shows on the Coach's Corner Sports Network, including Rubbin' and Grubbin' with Brandon Bain, Every Wednesday night on uh, Facebook, right there on Coach's Corner, and then archived on YouTube, uh, as well as Who is on First Base Baseball podcast with Carl Demasi and Kyle Lawson. Um, that's on Podbean, so they'll get you caught up on all the MLB playoff action, I'm sure, coming up this week. Um, you can also find Carl on Saturday mornings right there on the Coach's Corner Facebook page and Carl's Facebook page, as well as on YouTube. Uh, call Coach's Corner if you want to call ahead a lunch special or find out what's going on this week. You can call 912-352-2933. But the best way to keep up to date with what's going on at Coach's is to check out the Coach's Corner Facebook page. When you go, tell them the Hot Grits Podcast sent you. All right, let's get after it for a 137th time. Hot Grits Podcast. Ain't nobody I mean, I've always kind of believed in aliens. I don't know if I believe in flying saucers. You might as well just walk up to Cupid while he's on his lunch break, you know, cranking the heat or something. Yeah. Him right in the face. Punch a little baby right in. We'll see that. We're almost uh, three minutes into our sports podcast and yet to bring up not one sport. All right, welcome back in episode 137. Uh, October 25th, if you're listening to this on time, Season 7, Episode 17 of Season 7 of the Hot Grits Podcast. Uh, I'm Travis Shadon, you guys already know that, duh. I gotta start this week with a little explainer as to what happened last week. Um, Got a lot of DMs, a lot of text messages, phone calls, wondering where last week's episode was on Tuesday. Um, I had some personal stuff going on, nothing serious, just... I couldn't get to it on Monday to release on Tuesday. Uh, so I recorded it on, on Tuesday, a week ago today. Um, again, if you're listening to this on Tuesday. Uh, and I planned on releasing the episode on Wednesday. Well, I had the entire episode done, had it loaded up into our you know platform that we use to publish the episodes. And luckily, I went back and, and listened to at least a portion of it. And throughout the entire recording, it was 54 minutes um, of content, you could hear this like slight beep, a consistent beep throughout the entire thing. So I stayed up all night trying to figure it out. I, you know, I didn't know if I needed to re-record. Long story short, I couldn't do one last week. I couldn't do one last week. It's, that's part of the drawback of having only one person. Um, and I guess it's a little... You know, a little karma for me because I used to get all over Spencer's ass when when he would mess up the audio or when we would record an entire episode and it would just be lost in the abyss. It would just become Fugazi. Just out there floating in the wind. So that's where last week's episode was. So since we didn't have one last week, this one will remain, this week will remain episode 137, Um, but while I'm explaining what happened last week, I also want to talk about kind of what's next for Hot Grits, where my thought process is at. Um, Up front, I want to say I can feel the podcast getting stale. I can feel that, and I'm not sure if, you know, the audience feels it. There hasn't been any sort of dramatic shift in listen numbers or, you know, I haven't had people tell me that. I'm not sure people would tell me that, uh, although I wish, you know, I wish they would. I want feedback, whether it's good or not, but I can feel it sort of getting stale. It's sort of the same routine. It's getting a little bit monotonous, and, and if it's not monotonous for the listener, I can tell you it's getting a little monotonous for me because, again, I don't have anyone to bounce things off of. Uh, I don't have anyone to rile me up or stir me up on certain issues, um, and so it's becoming sort of, it, it's becoming too explainy for me. It's becoming too much of an explainer, 
too much of a recap type thing, and that is not at all what I want. That's not at all what I'm going for. So, on that note, I'm going to share with you guys some news regarding Hawkrits Podcast and the immediate future of it. First, I need to say off the top, there is some possible big news, huge news, coming next month um, in mid-November concerning HTP. I can't really like delve into that right now. It would be, for sure, the biggest news in our podcast history. Um, and I know that's sort of a shitty leak, a shitty, uh, you know, tease, but just a heads up that, you know, all the changes that I'm about to tell you about, they do not include what I believe is the biggest change in hot crits history, but it's not a guarantee first off. And also, you know, there's another person involved in the announcement. Well, I'll just go ahead and say this. There's possibly a new permanent co-host with me on the Hot Crits podcast. Now, I won't know that officially um, until the second week in November. But all roads seem to be pointing that way. Um, And it's somebody that, you know, maybe people in the Southie or maybe people in Savannah would know. Listeners of the show might would know this person, but this person has never been on. HGP either with me or or when Spencer was around, so it would be a new sort of voice, um, and that you know that could be coming in early November or in mid November. So I'll keep you guys up to date on that. But you know, there's a few things that I do want to change moving forward, even if that doesn't happen. Small things. So I've kind of categorized these into into two categories. Small things that I want to change and soon is obviously after season seven, I'll have a new intro song. Uh, we'll get our guy Kenny Gold to mix us up. A new intro song with the hot grits, obviously with camouflage and then with some cut-ins because the one we currently have, the one you just heard a couple minutes ago, has Spencer and I both in it and I don't want to, you know, not that I care, I, don't, I just don't want to continue to put Spencer's voice on this podcast if, you know, if he doesn't want to be on it. So, I mean, that seems to me pretty obvious and also pretty minor. I don't think any of you out there really give a rip about the intro song, but that's one of the small changes. Also, I I need to do a better job. Hand up. Hand up. It's on me. I need to do a better job of booking better interviews. Better interviews, more consistent interviews. Um... Because like I say, I don't want this to become stagnant and stale. And if you know, if I was more diligent, I, I believe that I could have had some, some bigger, better interviews for you guys. Even repeat interviews. Um, just so you're not listening to my voice the whole time. And when I talk interviews, I'm not talking about people like Mike Anthony who come on regularly. Because that's not really interview style. Um, I'm talking about people that are relevant you know, in Savannah sports, in, in regional sports, or or in Savannah in general. Um, and so I, that's my goal moving forward here these next two months in the year of 2022, our Lord. I want to get better and more listener engagement as well. I don't quite know how to do that, but I want to get you guys involved in the show more. If you want to be involved in the show more. I, I We've done call to actions before, stuff like... You know, obviously you can reach us on all the social media platforms. Um, you know, you can reach us through email and all that stuff. But I don't want to make you guys have to do any of that. I just want to, to be able to engage and get listener feedback without you guys really having to click off of whatever you're listening to this on. I want you to be able to interact with me on that thing, on that platform. So I have a few ideas with that. I'm not going to bore you with you know, my thoughts, but, you know, what I think could work, what I think could work is if we started doing a show, a hot grit show, um, either every other week or every week as a bonus style episode with video and we could stream that live on YouTube with the live chat, um, as well as Facebook with the live chat, what we did 
a couple episodes ago up at Coach's Corner. Now, I wouldn't necessarily have to be on location at Coach's Corner um, where I would record from, but but I'm going to work and talk with producer Lawrence and, and see see about doing that and, and kind of getting listeners involved that way. Um, and then that segues me into what I think is a really big change outside of a possible new permanent co-host. Um, and that's that I've thought a lot about this. Um, and I, and I think it's time that we, if I'm going to keep doing this, I think it's time that a YouTube channel gets brought back into play and that video becomes a staple. You know, I hope I want video to become a part of every episode. And by video, I mean, just you can see, if you want to, you, you'll be able to see me doing the episode rather than it being forced to be audio only because I know a lot of people don't want to listen to stuff without being able to watch it. And I know a lot of people use YouTube to listen to podcasts. Um, and so I want to give them that option. So my goal is to start season 18, which will be two episodes from now. So that's one episode 140. Um, to start episode 140 live on video and then have it on YouTube and go from there. So, so that's sort of where we're at. That's a little podcast update for you guys. Um, I know that's a little bit boring, but still I, I felt it's been a little while now since we updated people, um, on the Spencer front, you know, again, that ship has sailed. Uh, I asked him about the Hawks watch. When the NBA season started, I, I asked Spencer to come on to do a Hawks Watch segment. And I, you know, I knew that was a long shot, guys. But I didn't want to stop talking about Hawks. I, that was one of my favorite segments, even though it was sort of a bit the whole time. But that was one of my favorite things that we did during NBA season. And, and it was a way for us to get into, to sort of slither into NBA talk without just doing what we do with Georgia and with Georgia Southern and and with the Braves and stuff like that, because we didn't want to cover the NBA that way. But I did want to like at least talk about it a little bit on each episode, sort of like the way we do the NFL. But I can't imagine myself doing that without Spencer. Spencer declined the Hawks Watch invite, and so I'm not going to do a Hawks Watch. Hawks Seed Ceiling Watch um, on my own. That just feels a little sacrilegious. Uh, also, it would just be kind of weird and boring, I feel like. It would be like if I did a, a top four draft with just me. It would be a snake format if I did, by the way. So no Hawks for the time being. Um, we're going to talk Braves offseason since I missed last week. Got a few thoughts on that. Obviously, a bunch of college football here coming up. Uh, high school football updates. And then I have three kind of... Unique anniversaries, um, and I have some audio clips to go with that. Anniversaries meaning that, you know, a week, this week in history, some, some notable things that happened, um, and I'm going to play a, a sort of sort of quirky, funny game. What I think is funny, again, it could just not be funny at all, but I'm going to take a swing, folks. Um, I'm going to do that sort of at the back end of the episode, but I guess we should start with the Bravos and kind of their off-season plans. Um, but before I do that, I want to remind you guys about John Carr, Realtor. Uh, I was out at a golf tournament that he was hosting for the um, Savannah Baptist Center on Monday at the Savannah Golf Club. We went low, low. My scramble team went real low. Uh, came in second place, won a free round out there. Johnny Carr was the host of it. Uh, you guys should have seen him, man. He was holding court like a politician Everybody loves them. Everybody was asking them where they can buy real estate, where they can buy their house, their next house, how they can sell their next house, what the best option is, and you need to do the same thing. So call or text John Carr today. Let him know the Hot Grits podcast sent you. Find him on Twitter. Find him on Facebook. Facebook might be the best way to go about it. Go uh, search John Carr Realtor, or you could just search his you know, parent company, Seaport Real Estate, on Facebook, and you can get in touch with John Carr that way. He knows the market like the back of his hand, and I promise you, if you want 
someone trustworthy, honest, nice, straightforward, and knowledgeable about the real estate market, he's your guy. So call John Carr, text him, find him on Facebook, and let him know that we sent you over at the Hot Grits Podcast. All right, the Braves went out with a whimper um, against the Phillies. Uh, I'm not going to do the thing where I blame it on the five-day break. You know, it probably had an impact, but the fact is they worked their dick off all, you know, the entire summer, the entire second half, trying to get the division win so they could avoid the wild card series. In fact, the biggest series win of the year, the sweep of the Mets in the penultimate series, that was treated as like a world title almost for the Braves. It was a, a magnificent accomplishment. And so you can't have it both ways. Either you wanted it or you didn't. And I don't think that had anything to do with the Braves bowing out. I think it had a lot to do with what I said a few weeks before the playoffs started. The Braves were really, really good, but they had a lot of young guys that that were crucial to their success that had never appeared in playoff games. I say never appeared. That's not true. That had never played real meaningful playoff baseball. And... Really, when you go back and look at that Philly series, Braves had three guys that, that hit. They had three guys that hit, really. It was Ronnie Acuna. It was Travis Darno, Travis Dargo, go, 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 go. And it was Matt Olson. Other than that, it was a bunch of... <laughs> Dansby Swanson, nowhere to be found. Contreras, not great. The left field uh, platoon, not great. Austin Riley, young, handsome, nowhere to be found. Max Fried got his tits ripped in game one. Um, Kyle Wright was the only bright spot of the rotation. But it's guys like Harris, who was so good during the regular season, that struggled in these playoffs. And, And... that same thing, remember I, I talked about this, that same thing happened to Ozzie Albies. It happened to Ronald Acuna. It happened to Austin Riley. It happened to all of the young Braves, even Max Fried. Three years ago, three or four years ago now, against the Dodgers when, when the Braves went to back-to-back, when they won the first, their first two division titles in this five, uh, you know, five-year stretch that they've won five in a row, you know, that was part of the growing pains for the Braves back then. But then Albies and Acuna, Freed, Riley, those guys sort of grew up and they'd been there and done that and that's what led to the championship last year. So maybe guys like Michael Harris struggling, Contreras to some extent as well, guys like that struggling this time around, maybe that is part of it. That they never had to take a you know several day break and then play multiple day games and then face elimination far sooner than what they were thinking and you know I thought once the Braves lost game three and they went down two one that series was over and that turned out to be correct. There is a bright spot though. I found two different comps to what the Braves have done so far, um, and that is go from being the World Series champ to being eliminated, to coming back hopefully next year and being a World Series contender. How about the 96-98 to 98 New York Yankees? So in 96, the Yanks won the World Series. In 97, they got bounced in the ALDS pretty quickly. And I think a lot of, you know, I think a lot of baseball people thought, well, that might have been it. You know, that they got their world title and that might have been it. Because in 97, it wasn't like, you know, people were expecting the Yanks to come back and be this great dynasty, which they ended up becoming beginning the next year in 1998. So again, the Yanks won the World Series in 96. The Braves won the World Series in 2021. The Yankees lost in the first round of the playoffs the next year. The Braves lost in the first round of the playoffs this year. Now, the Yanks went on to win several world titles beginning in 1998. But in other words, there's precedent right there for what the Braves have in mind next season. 
What about the 2010 to 2012 San Francisco Giants? In 2010, the Giants won the World Series. In 2011, I think they missed the playoffs in 2011. And then in 2012, they won again. Now, the 2010 World Series for the Giants, I feel like Brooks Conrad should have gotten a ring for that because he made a thousand errors in that, in that series against the Giants that year. But again, that's precedent for a team that wins a world title, has a letdown the next year. And look, the Braves, that qualifies as a letdown to not even make the NLCS. It was a letdown year. But the Giants came back and won in 2012. And, you know, that, you know, that's what the Braves are trying to do. So it's been done before, and it's been done in relatively recent history. And so I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility for the Braves to sort of bring back a majority of the same core and try to run this thing back. I got three Braves offseason key questions, and then we'll move on, uh, talk a tiny bit about the World Series quickly. But three questions. Should they stay, or I'm sorry, will they stay, or will they go? First up, Dansby Swanson. We've talked about this a lot, so I won't spend a lot of time on it. My answer here is stay. Both that I think Dansby Swanson needs to stay in Atlanta Brave, and I think he will. I think he will. If the Braves can get somewhere, maybe five years, 110. Five years, 110 million. That would put him at, not a math guy, 20... One million per year? Question mark. Now it doesn't have to be twenty-one per year exactly. They could maneuver it around and you know give him a front-loaded contract or give him back-loaded contract. But I think Dancy Swanson will remain a Brave, um, and we'll find all that out pretty much right after the World Series ends is when that kind of stuff can begin going on. Number two, Jacob Degrom. Should he stay a Met? Will he stay a Met or will he go to the Atlanta Braves? The team that's been rumored to be at the top of his list. My answer here is no. My answer here is go. Jacob DeGrom's going to require upwards of $40 million per year. For a guy that's been hurt a large majority of his career. If you're telling me the Braves didn't have enough money to re-sign... Freddie Freeman, or they were hesitant to re-sign Freddie Freeman, now they're messing around and being hesitant to re-sign Dansby Swanson, they better not go out and pay $40 million for a pitcher that pitches half the year. I don't want any part of that. If, if you're telling me the Braves have $40 million to spend, I can find a lot better ways to spend it than Jacob DeGrom. Not to mention that if the Braves did that, it would go against everything we know about Anthopolis and everything we know about the Braves' culture, organization, and their general philosophy. That is not the kind of thing that they do. They don't sign... I mean, DeGrom would be way above every other Braves player. They're not going that high for anyone. So Jacob DeGrom, that's a no in my book. Like, I'd love to have Jacob DeGrom, don't get me wrong, but not for that price, not if it hinders me from doing so many different other things. And once you do that, like you know, it, it's going to be tough to imagine being able to do something like DeGrom and then also find ways to lock up Max Freed, find ways to maybe possibly extend Kyle Wright at some point. No, I don't want that. I'd rather stay away from Jacob DeGrom if I had it my way. All right, and then the last guy... Von Grissom, I think Von Grissom and what happens with him this offseason is going to be really, really key for what the Braves look like in 2023. I think Von Grissom should stay in the big leagues. And when I say stay or go with Von Grissom, I mean should he make the club as a left fielder, as an extra infielder? I don't know where he would line up, but I think he needs to stay with the big club 
because they've come too far now. I don't want Vaughn Grissom starting off in AAA just so he can quote-unquote get at-bats and get playing time. Let's find ways for him to get at-bats and get playing time in the big leagues. That's going to require Vaughn Grissom, I believe, to learn how to play left field and to take it really seriously this offseason. If you're Vaughn Grissom and you want to stay in the big leagues, you want to make the opening day roster, you got to make yourself as indispensable as possible. You have to make it impossible. You have to make it so difficult on the Braves front office to send you down that they just can't do it. And how do you do that? Learn how to play a position that the Braves, I think, need to fill. The left field spot, something's got to give. I don't know if they'll get rid of Rosario. I don't know if they'll be able to. I don't know if they'll be able to get rid of Ozuna. Certainly they would try to. But if Grissom can play left field, and he shows you that in, say, a fall league or in early spring training, if he shows you that ability, maybe you can get rid of Rosario or Ozuna, and maybe the Braves would be willing to bite some of Ozuna's contract money because they're getting Von Grissom for so cheap, who's already locked up. So those are the three things that I think are most important to watch. The Dansby Swanson contract, Jacob deGrom, and his possible rumors um, to be interested in Atlanta, and then Vaughn Grissom. So we'll check back in with the Braves here and there as the offseason moves along. The Phillies and the Astros are set to play in the World Series. I'm rooting for the Astros here. They are really good, and I think they're the best team in baseball. I've thought that for a minute. Uh, certainly in the American League, but the Phillies are hot. The Phillies are red hot, and they're doing a lot of things that the Braves did last year. If the Phillies go on to beat Houston, I would think that Major League Baseball, either this year, this offseason, or the next offseason, would take a real hard look at this new playoff format. Because the baseball, they won't tell you this. They don't want all their number one seeds getting dropped early in the playoffs every season. And if it happens this year, you know, it already happened, kind of. If Houston wins, then sort of one of the favorites to win the World Series won it anyway. So it really wouldn't matter. But if Philadelphia were to win, I think baseball would look at possibly making the... Division series, I think they would look at making that a 4 out of 7 instead of a 3 out of 5. So you play a 3 out of 5 wild card series, 4 out of 7, 4 out of 7, and then the World Series, 4 out of 7. Just a thought. One more thing on the World Series. Uh, I'm sure we'll be seeing a little bit of Brian Snicker as his son's on the coaching staff for the Astros. So I'm sure he'll be around the World Series. You might see him pop up on your TV here and there. Um, So if the Astros were to win... That would be back-to-back world titles for the, for the fighting Snicker family. Congrats to them, I guess. I guess. All right, that's it for the baseball talk. We'll move on now. All right, let's talk a little college football now. The world's largest outdoor cocktail party this weekend in Jacksonville. Georgia versus Florida, renewing for a 101st time. 101 meetings since 1904 Uh, this weekend. It'll be the second straight year that a number one ranked Georgia team faces an unranked Florida team. And that means all is well. All is right with the world when Georgia's number one in the country and Florida ain't ranked. I think it's going to be a blowout in Jacksonville. I don't want to spend any time at all really on the X's and O's. You know, like... What's the key for Georgia winning? Three keys for the Bulldogs to win the game. Nah, none of that. I don't want to do any of that. But let's talk about the rivalry big picture. Georgia-Florida and kind of its state. The state of the Georgia-Florida rivalry. Because remember, like you know, I'm 31 years old. When I'm coming up, it was Rex Grossman, Steve Spurrier. Florida really dominated Georgia. And then for a little while in there, it was sort of back and forth. Um, you know, during the Mark Richt era, Georgia got the better of Florida several times. Florida did the same to Georgia several times, obviously. You know, it kind of went back and forth. 
Now under Kirby Smart, it seems to be turning back into Georgia's favor. Like I said, last year, Georgia shellacked Florida. They killed him. Um, this year, I expect more of the same. I guess the outlier would be the, 2020, the pandemic year, the 2020 year, which notably Georgia didn't have a bye before that week. I mean, that was just a weird year in general. But Kirby Smart's teams are 4-2 and two against Florida teams since he's arrived in Athens. So that's solid. You know, I, I, I said I think Georgia's going to win and win handily. 22-point spread uh, for this game. I, I, you know, I don't know the last time I thought this about Georgia-Florida, but it feels like sort of a trap game for Georgia, right? And who would have ever thought that? Four, five, six weeks ago. Florida certainly is never a trap game for the Bulldogs because they're never going to overlook the Gators, right? Except for maybe when you're coming off Vanderbilt by week, Florida, and then what looms ahead? What's next? Maybe Maybe the biggest regular season game in the Kirby Smart era Likely number three, Tennessee, coming into Athens. That's a 3.30 kick, by the way. So this would qualify as a trap game if it wasn't Florida. Like, if you just took all of Florida's metrics, take, you know, take their 4-3 and three record overall, take their 1-3 and three conference record, remove the name Florida, look at Florida's stats, look at their players, you would say that, that Georgia is much better than this team. And since number three, Tennessee, lurks right around the corner, certainly this would qualify as a trap game because Georgia's way better than the University of Florida in, in every aspect. Florida can win for sure, but th- there really is no spot on the field that Florida's better than Georgia at. And that's... That's pretty remarkable. That doesn't happen too often in this rivalry. Now, again, Florida Florida had some years like that where they were just better than Georgia at every single spot, especially during those early Tebow years before Georgia started dancing all in the end zone. A couple interesting side points uh, to this game. Uh, the contract for the Jacksonville uh, neutral site for TIAA Bank Field that expires after next season. And there's been a lot of talk about, you know, neutral site, whether this game should be moved to on campus, alternating every other year. Um, and I'll talk about that more in a few seconds. But that's one thing I think outside the lines to kind of think about is that, you know, I think we all take for granted that this thing's going to be in Jacksonville, you know, until the end of time. But the fact is that money... The powers that be, there's a reason why they don't extend these things for 50 years. Only a few years at a time, and that thing runs out after next season. This also might be the last ever Georgia-Florida game on CBS. Kind of wild to think about. This might be the last ever Georgia-Florida game on CBS. Might not get Gary Danielson and Vern Lundquist. I guess it's not Big Vern anymore. Brad Nessler might not get the CBS crew anymore. I will be sad to see Tracy Wilson go. Tracy still got it, man. Yeah, she's still got it for sure. A veteran of the sideline game looks the part, plays the part. Um, everything that Gary Danielson does not do, in fact. So that's another little outside the line type thing. Um, I want to tell you guys about a few stats, uh, not, not, you know, again, not X's and O's stats, but first I I think we've talked about Georgia, Florida long enough. When I think Georgia, Florida all time, I think of one play and one play only back third down on the eight in trouble, got a block behind him. Going to throw on a run, complete to the 25, to the 30. Lindsey's got 35, 40. Lindsey's got 45, 50, 45, 40. Run, Lindsey. 25, 20, 50, 10, 5. Lindsey stops. Lindsey stops. Lindsey stops.
can't believe it. 92 yards, and Lindsey really got in a foot race. I broke my chair. I came right through a chair, a metal steel chair with about a five-inch cushion. I broke it. The booth came apart. The stadium, well, the stadium fell down. Now they do have to renovate this thing. They'll have to rebuild it now. I, this, is, this is incredible. You know, this game has always been called the world's greatest cocktail party. Do you know what is going to happen here tonight? And up at St. Simon's and Jekyll Island and all those places where all those dog people have got these condominiums for four days. Man, is there going to be some property destroyed tonight. 26 to 21. Dogs on top. We were gone. I gave up. You did too. We were out of it and gone. Miracle. Woohoo! It gives me goosebumps, man. Run, Lindsay, run! Run, Lindsay! Lindsey Scott, Lindsey Scott! There'll never be another one like Larry Munson. All right, let's talk a little stats real quick. Georgia, for, for you know all the talk and hype about their defense, and, it, and that's much warranted, their offense is doing pretty good too. Let's look at their numbers, where they rank in all of college football. Total offense, which is yards per game basically, Number two in the country, 526 yards per game. Total defense, how many yards you give up per game? They're number four in the country, 247 allowed per game. So offense, number two, defense, number four in the country. What about points per game? Points are more important than yards after all. Football guy. Offensively, eighth in the country in points per game, 41.7. And second in the country, allowing only 9.8 points per game. A couple injury notes too. Jalen Carter, A.D. Mitchell, they're, quote, hopeful, according to Kirby Smart. Kendall Milton, probable. And I think I just heard that Dan Jackson is out for the season. And that may be the greatest news of all. Here's what Kirby Smart said on Monday about Georgia, Florida. Coach, I think I have some idea of what you think or care about rankings, but, uh, you know, they obviously don't matter until next week when the college football rankings come out. But how much have you been able to keep up with, uh, you know, teams in, in your rearview mirror like Oregon and, and South Carolina who haven't lost since you played them? Is that at all validating for you guys? Because I'm, I'm sure at the time you knew you played well, but you can't be 100% sure who's got what to this point. Is, it, is there anything validating about uh, what you've seen from those teams since you got past them? You answered the question initially. I haven't been paying attention to it. I mean, I, I really haven't. I, our focus has been on the next opponent since uh, Thursday of last week. And not to not answer your question, but I just don't concern myself with it. Coach, uh, I guess the, your halftime talk last year, we all got to hear a little bit of it. And, uh, I guess I'd ask you how you pick and choose and um, from being a, uh, an assistant versus a head coach because I know you can't do it every game or every practice. But how do you know when and how much of it is – I don't know if calculate is the right word, or is it just all gut when you deliver messages to your teams? Yeah, I think it's just how you feel like where your team is, you know, what, 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 what's, what space they're in in terms of confidence level, focus, attention to detail. Uh, and, and a lot of times it comes better when it comes from the players and the leaders within the team, which the best teams have guys capable of, of communicating to each other, and they listen to each other uh, much more than they listen to, to me. So I don't... You know, I don't calculate it and figure out when I'm going to do it. If it's if the appropriate time is there and think we need it, then certainly we do, we do it. Trevor, you guys put out a video last week of a post-practice treat for your players. Uh, I wanted to ask you about why, why you guys wanted to do that and uh, what you like better, funnel cakes or ice cream? Uh, I had to go speak to the superintendents of Georgia, um, which they were in town, so I never got to see it. I, I bolted off right after practice, so I didn't get to partake. Uh, but I was glad the players were able to get a, a, a treat, you know, for a, a off week. We got some guys that need to gain weight, so I figured that's a good way to do it. Kirby, do you have any uh, plans to do anything with recruits this this coming week? Do you have any uh, – I mean, I know it's kind of weird that you, you can host them but not host them. Do you have anything set up for some of the recruits maybe that could, could – could be coming to this game. Do you have any tickets set aside for them? Uh, we, we're allowed to use tickets, but we can't host them. I mean, we can't do anything. So there's 
I never understood. I never understand what 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 would we do with them? We can't legally see them. We can't talk to them. We can't host them. Can't visit with them. Uh, we can say there's a ticket at the gate. Um, enjoy the game. So that's that's really all we can do, and, and uh, we'll we'll do that. All right. So there's three different questions to Kirby Smart. Three different answers. Uh, the first one, I believe that was Chip Towers, asking the question about. Uh, you know, teams that Georgia beats, like South Carolina, for instance, and Oregon, and how they haven't lost since Georgia beat them. Kirby Smart <laughs> replies in a typical Kirby Smart fashion, uh, shrugs it off, basically says, yeah, you're right, I haven't, I don't pay attention to that kind of thing. And that just goes, I wanted to let you guys hear that, because that just goes back to my point a couple weeks ago, that none of the co- other coaches in college football no coach in college football watches the other college football teams. And so for them to be able to vote on a top 25 is absolutely asinine. Again, nobody really, like, that doesn't matter. It doesn't affect who makes the playoffs and things like that. But just, the, just your weekly reminder that the least important poll in all the world, every poll ever, this is a hot take, I'm confident in this, every poll ever, all time, at the bottom of the list, is the coaches poll in college football. Um, notice that Kirby Smart dodged the the uh, funnel cake question. Dodged the funnel cake question. They asked him to pick a side. He said he cracked a joke, which is very un Kirby Smart like, about how some guys need to gain some weight. I thought that was funny, but the but the most important part of that clip I thought was the the third part. The third part where. Kirby Smart talks about the recruits coming to Georgia-Florida games in Jacksonville and how they're not allowed to host recruits officially. Now, this year, this isn't the biggest game of the season for Georgia, but a lot of years, you know, if you go like a 10-year span, probably, you know, every 10 years, the most important game on Georgia's schedule, I would think five or six of those years, every 10 years, is Florida. And so to not have the ability to showcase that game officially, like recruits will be there, but you know they can't officially be there you know, on Georgia's watch. They can't get the full treatment. That's a loss for both Florida and for Georgia. And so that's why I've always said this game needs to not be a neutral side. It needs to be alternating from Gainesville to Athens. Could you imagine go up, going up to Athens to watch the Gators play? Could you imagine the first time, like in the modern era, that the Gators come between the hedges? That'd be crazy. Um, could you imagine the dogs in the swamp? I mean, that atmosphere would be electric. I get it. Jacksonville is awesome. And if it stays there forever, I'm cool with it. For the fans... It's incredible. It doesn't get any better than going to the landing. Now, it makes for a long trip back if your team loses. But, man, if you're in Jacksonville when Georgia wins and you're a Georgia fan, it don't get much better than that. Eh, maybe St. Simons. Maybe St. Simons, depending on how old you are and how much you like Bush Light. So I get that it's going to that that, you know, the fans want it to stay in Jacksonville. But if you're looking strictly at what's best for the actual football program. I don't know that the neutral side in Jacksonville has the same allure that it used to have. It just doesn't. It just doesn't. And, you know, that, like I said, that contract expires at the end of next year. So we'll have to wait and see, you know, what that looks like. Uh, It's the last game of the month for Georgia, the last game in the month of October. I thought this stat was interesting. Then we'll move on. Um, Kirby Smart, all-time at Georgia as a head coach. Six losses in the month of October. That's the most losses uh, in any month for Kirby Smart. In fact, if you combine all of the losses that Kirby Smart's had in August, September, and November, that's four losses. But he has six in the month of October alone. So do with that what you will. This is a chance for Georgia to move to 8-0. 5 and 0 in the SEC and you know I think all eyes are on Tennessee game which makes this a bit of a trap game but I think Georgia will be fine 
And, uh, you know, I can't wait to see what the atmosphere looks like in Jacksonville there on Saturday. All right, we're going to talk Georgia Southern, but first I want to tell you guys about Sweet Potatoes Kitchen, a segment sponsor here on the Hot Grits Podcast. The number one lunch spot in Southside Savannah, Sweet Potatoes Kitchen, owned by Steve Magulius, located at 531 Stevenson Avenue, Monday, 11 to 3 p.m., and then Tuesday through Saturday, 11 a.m. to 8 p.m. So lunchtime on Monday, lunch and dinner the rest of the week. If you want to call your order ahead, you can call it at 912-352-3434, 912-352-3434. Find Sweet Potatoes Kitchen online on Facebook, Instagram, and in person, 531 Stevenson Avenue. Tell them the Hot Grits Podcast sent you and they will hook it up. Don't look now. Georgia Southern. Georgia Southern winners of two straight in Sunbelt play, so they dropped to 0-2 after losing to Coastal and Georgia State. Now they've rattled off back-to-back wins against the new kids on the block. Jimmy Madison, they took care of them. That's a ranked opponent. Another ranked opponent going down in Paulson Stadium. Uh, That place is becoming a nightmare for ranked teams. I wouldn't want to be ranked going into Paulson Stadium. Um, I I think, you know, we could go... I'm not going to go back to the Jimmy Madison game since that was two weeks ago. And, you know, we won't, I don't know that there's a lot to break down from Old Dominion. Georgia Southern won 28-23. to They're now 5-3, and 2-2, two and two, heading into their bye week this week. The back-to-back wins against Madison and Old Dominion, I think, just about guarantee Georgia Southern a bowl game. Now, I say just about. Uh, I believe ESPN, the power index, Bill Conley, has Georgia Southern at a 91.5% chance to win six or more games. And what, you know, here's the slate coming up for them. By week this week, then they'll play three games in 14 days. Home versus South Alabama, November 5th. At Louisiana, that's a Thursday night game, short week, on November 10th. Then back home against Marshall on November 19th before they close the season with App State. So South Alabama, Louisiana, Marshall. I mean, obviously, ideally, you want to have that sixth win secured long before you get to Marshall and App State, certainly before you get to App State. But if you're telling me that Georgia Southern has four opportunities to win one game, I like their odds. Especially the way they played against Old Dominion. It was the first time that we saw Georgia Southern with the ability to win a game where it wasn't dominating in the passing offense. In fact, the ground game carried them. They had 223 rush yards to only 192 pass yards. That's more like the Georgia Southern of old, to be honest. I'm not sure. I think earlier in the year, I was like, I don't think Georgia Southern's going to have many games, maybe no games, where they rush for more yards than they pass for, but that's exactly what happened. Uh, And I think it bode well for Georgia Southern because, look, their defense has been much maligned. We know that. We know that. And, you know, a lot of it has been personnel. A lot of it has been play calling. A lot of it has just been that they haven't been that great. But there are some other factors that have led to Georgia Southern's defense, you know, sort of being exposed at times. And it's, you know, the same old story that, that when your offense moves at a pace like Georgia Southern does, And not just the pace, it's when you're passing as often as you are and you're scoring quickly or else you're going three and out or else the clock stops on incomplete passes. Like that kind of offense, while it puts up points, and Georgia Southern is most certainly putting up points, 36.9. Ooh, that's kind of a backdoor nice. 36.9 points per game. That's second in the Sun Belt Conference. I think just a point behind Jimmy Madison. So 36.9 points per game is A-OK. That's working. But what you're giving up on the other end is that your defense is going to be on the field for a large majority of the time. You're not going to have a lot of 10, 11, 12, 13 play drives when you're running the kind of offense that Georgia Southern has. And so you're asking a lot of your defense. You're asking them to be on the field maybe not for as many plays as what Georgia Southern's opponents are on the field for, but usually... They're on the field for far 
longer in terms of time of possession. But that didn't happen this time around against Old Dominion, and I think it paid off. I think it paid off because, look, Georgia Southern won the time of possession 34, 34 and a half minutes to 25 and a half minutes. So that's damn near 10 minutes of, of difference in time of possession. And, and Georgia Southern's defense is good enough. It is talented enough to hang in there when you're only asking them to be out there for 25 and a half minutes. They still allowed 23 points, so it's not like they were the 85 Bears out there. But if Georgia Southern's defense is only going to allow 23 points, they're going to win a shit ton of games in the Clay Helton era. So I thought it was really good to see, you know, something we didn't really see much during the Chad Lunsford era was that the bye weeks usually came, they were usually coming off of a tough loss. And it was a chance for the Eagles to rebound. Now Georgia Southern heads into the bye week. I'm not even sure that they would want to take a bye right now after winning two straight. But South Alabama's a good squad, so, you know, the extra rest, the extra days certainly helps. Unfortunately for Georgia Southern, Amari Jones, the bye week won't help him get back healthy. He's going to be out for the year. Um, And that's a tough loss for Georgia Southern. Obviously, he has touchdown playability, uh, you know, from a lot of different spots in the offense, Jones does. But I think Georgia Southern can afford to lose a receiver there. You know, maybe that's not the right way to say it. I think that Georgia Southern has guys that are capable behind Amari Jones. And, and, you know, namely three of the top five wide receivers in the Sun Belt in terms of receptions, they play for Georgia Southern. Number two is Caleb Hood, 53 catches. Number four, Jeremy Singleton, 46. And number five, Derwin Burgess. And he, oh, I'm sorry, Singleton has 46 receptions. Good for fourth in the Sun Belt. Derwin Burgess is fifth right there behind Singleton. So three of the top five wide receivers in terms of receptions are on the Georgia Southern roster. None of them are named Amari Jones. So you're going to need a little bit more big playability from those guys, especially Hood. I think would be the guy that that they would start leaning on a little bit more. Not that they haven't been using him. But I think Hood's the guy that kind of may step up and and at least try and fill the void of Amari Jones. Jalen White has been really good. Really good. The running back, he's number two in the Sun Belt. 132 carries, 678 yards, and nine tutties. Uh, Jerry Gerald Green... 404 yards, that's number 12 in the Sun Belt. So Jalen White, number two in the Sun Belt. Gerald Green, number 12. Uh, Georgia Southern, three of the top five wide receivers in the conference and two of the top 12 running backs in the conference. Uh, Obviously, we know about Van Treese's numbers. KVT uh, tied for first with 18 touchdowns. Uh, He's leading by like a million yards in the total yards category. 2,700 yards already, 2,704 to be exact. Um, so, look, I think the offense is going to be perfectly fine. The, the offensive line, Mike Anthony and I talked about this before the year, it is so nice to see a Georgia Southern team with not just an adequate offensive line, but a really, really good one. Something that you can go, you know, every Friday night you can go to sleep knowing that the next day, Georgia Southern is going to line up with probably a better offensive line than the other guys. And it's been a long time since we've been able to say that, right? Been a long time since that's been the case. So a lot of props to Helton and that whole staff for what they've done with that unit. It was a veteran unit, but, um, you know, the, I guess, the consistency with which they've done it is pretty, pretty remarkable. Old Dominion came into that game leading the country in sacks. They sacked KVT zero times in that game. And maybe that was part of the reason for the game plan to to utilize the ground game. Maybe that's part of the reason because Georgia Southern's defense allowing 30.5 points per game. That's 11th in the Sun Belt. And so they came in a touchdown under their average for what what has been a, a pretty solid Old Dominion offense. 
I like where this team's at right now. I really, really do. They're playing really well. They're playing really disciplined. Um, they're getting guys going that they needed to get going. I think defensively, the development of Anthony Wilson has been really fun to watch. He's a really, really good player. And when, I remember when they got him out of South Carolina, it was, you know, he, he was a, a tad bit undersized. They, they actually thought about using him other places besides safety. But man, he has fit in real well. Um, and, it, and it really is a great tackle for being uh, a defensive back. Him and Waylon Free, too. Waylon Free's, I don't know how to pronounce it still, Wylan, Waylon. His ability to come down into the box has really helped Georgia Southern as well. So they got a lot of good things going. Right now, the bye week, South Alabama, at Louisiana, Marshall, and App State. Man, if things go a certain way, things go a certain way these next uh, 14 to 21 days, that App State-Georgia Southern game could be monumental. And that'll be in Paulson for the season finale. So, can't look ahead. Just got to go 1-0 this week, even though they're on a bye. 1-0 this week, boys. But they're heading to a bowl game. They're heading to a bowl game, and if you look at certain projections, they might be taking on a Power 5 team. So kudos to Georgia Southern. Uh, we will obviously keep you guys up to date with them moving forward after the bye week and heading in to that South Alabama game. All right, what else do we got here? Let's talk high school football. What do you guys think? High school football, uh, my updates for this week. The Region 3-3A uh, playoff race is heating up. Read more about that on PrepSportsReport.com. PrepSportsReport.com is the number one place in Savannah to read about high school sports, youth sports, um, and even some college athletes that have, gone, that have come from Savannah. Uh, completely free to read. You don't have to sign up. Um, it's a great place to get scores, great place to get stats, and also little featurettes. Feature stories on coaches, players, uh, you know, family, everything. You can find pretty much any sport you want on PrepSportsReport.com. Check them out on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram as well, PrepSAV. So high school football, last week, Calvary made a statement against Country Day, 56-13. to And Jake Merklinger, the four-star junior quarterback for the Cavs, for the number two ranked Calvary Cavaliers, how about this stat line? How about Merklinger's stat line? Five touchdowns, 12 for 12 passing, and over 300 yards. In the first half. He did all that in the first half. He did not throw a pass that hit the ground. He threw five tutties, and he eclipsed 300 yards before halftime. He's on an absolute heater right now. Calvary gets Long County this week. If they win, they'll clinch the Region 3-3A title, which I, you know, they clinched that back in July, as far as I'm concerned. That was never a doubt. Savannah Christian, they haven't officially done it yet, but, you know, I put my life on the line that they're going to be the number two seed in that region. And then you have Johnson, who's at Country Day this week. And this is where it gets real interesting. Long County, Liberty County, and Johnson are all tied 3 and two in the region with two games to go. Long County's game at Calvary this week, you know, on the surface looks really important for the Blue Tide, but it's really not. Let's mark them down as a loss to Calvary because that's what's going to happen. And let's assume that Johnson beats Country Day. So Johnson would then be a game up on Long County and they, those two teams play each other in the final week of the season. Well, even if Johnson's a game up on Long County, going into that game, if Johnson loses, Long County and Johnson would have the same record, and then Long would get the head-to-head advantage. So no matter what happens in the Long-Calvary game, and really, you know, frankly, whatever happens in the Johnson Country A game, won't necessarily matter in terms of who's making the playoffs. But what it will do is if Johnson can win out, they're going to be the three-seed. They're going to be the three seed, and that would be a major accomplishment, I think, for Kenderic Bonner, Gene Clemens, and the rest of that Johnson coaching staff. Um, Country Day is beat up right now. They got some players. I think they can hang with Johnson. Uh, you know, I think Johnson's definitely favored in that game, but it wouldn't be you know, the craziest upset in the world if Country Day won that game. 
Liberty County is going to win out, and they have the tiebreaker over Long County. So right now, I think Calvary, Savannah, Christian, I'll say Johnson is the three seed, Liberty County the four seed out of 3-3-A. 3-4-A, you got Benedictine at number five this week. They keep rolling. They're not going to lose again, I don't think. They get New Hampshire in the season finale. So that'll be interesting. I mean, that'll obviously be a really important game. Probably not as much for BC as it will be for New Hampshire. That's one to keep an eye on down the stretch. I'll be at Johnson Country Day, or I'll be at Country Day for Johnson and the Hornets this Friday night. You can check that story out again on prepsportsreport.com Friday night, late Friday night or early Saturday morning. All right, let's close up the show here. This is a little off the wall for you guys. Um, Three different anniversaries this week that I thought was interesting. Bill Buckner, the ball went through Bill Buckner's leg in 1986 this week. I think it was October 25th, so actually to the day. Uh, Happy anniversary to him, I guess, to the late Bill Buckner. I think he's dead now, right? Mookie Wilson didn't kill him. I think he died recently. But as as a Red Sox fan, I'm kind of glad that that Buckner thing happened because then that led to 2004. Without Buckner missing that ground ball, 2004 never happens. And even if they do win it, it wouldn't be as special because the curse wouldn't be broken. So selfishly, I'm kind of glad that happened. And then also, one year ago this week, one year ago, this week, Alec Baldwin shot and killed a person. Shot and killed a person one year ago this week. I can't believe that's been a year. Spencer and I just had a ball talking about that story a year ago this week. And then one more anniversary, happy anniversary to my brother-in-law and my sister, Chris and Brandy. Uh, they celebrated their anniversary this past week as well, so... There you go. A trio of anniversaries to end Hawkrit's podcast episode 137. All right. Thanks for bearing with us. Thanks for sticking with me. We'll see you guys next week on episode 138. Until then, stay safe. Wash your hands, you filthy animals.
Savannah's premier indoor baseball training facility, SBPA is owned and operated by Ross Howard, and together with instructors who have played college and professional baseball, Ross and SBPA offer customized instruction year-round for baseball and softball players, full-length batting cages, pitching mounds, and a state-of-the-art technology to measure improvement are just a few of the highlights over at the Academy. Call Ross at 912-484-5282 and visit the Savannah Baseball Performance Academy on Facebook for programs, teams, camps, and more information about how to take advantage of this great venue. Savannah's only year-round indoor baseball facility, Ross Howard, our guy, give him a call, 912-484-5282. Commercial and residential electrical services that you can trust. Braddy Electric is Savannah's number one electrical services for commercial and residentials since 1970. It's family owned and family operated. Reach them today at 912-233-1561 or 1104 East 35th Street. Braddy Electric, that's two D's, B-R-A-D-D-Y. Five stars on Yelp, five stars on Google reviews, and Savannah's number one electrical servicer since 1970. Call them today, 912-233-1561.